We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. What's up and welcome to a history edition of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, Babe Ruth's bellyache heard around the world. This episode is brought to you by our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out the odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. 
Before the 1925 season, manager Miller Huggins proclaimed that this year's Yankees roster was going to be the strongest team he ever managed. This coming after he managed the Yankees to three straight pennants from 1920 to 1923, including the franchise's first ever championship. The 1925 Yankees would not be the strongest team Miller Huggins ever managed. They lost 85 games and finished in seventh place. The season was a disaster. Why? Well, a lot of things went wrong, but Babe Ruth missing the first two months of the season certainly did not help. In the early to mid-20s, newspapers didn't have sports sections. They had Babe Ruth sections that just also happened to mention the scores of games and results of horse races and dog races. The Babe made sports mainstream. He was baseball's first celebrity and perhaps the only player in history to be truly bigger than the game. In 1927, Babe signed a contract for $70,000 per year. He made another $73,000 off the field, making him the first pro athlete to earn as much off the field as he did on it. He made $13,000 from endorsements alone, about twice the average major league salary at the time. Putting aside the fact that Babe was notoriously awful with his money, that was big bucks, but not even close to what he was worth. He was a gold mine for everyone who could get their hands on him, particularly the Yankees, Major League Baseball, and his agent, Christy Walsh. Economists have attempted to calculate Ruth's take-home pay in today's dollars. They came up with it being about $26 million today. Again, big-time dough. But that would be like if Mike Trout had The Rock's fame and the Kardashians' influence and only made $26 million. I mean, Mike Trout has milquetoast personality, and I'm still of the opinion that 9 out of 10 sports fans could not identify Mike Trout out in public and he makes close to $40 million. So Babe Ruth was worth 50 times what he was earning for his drawing card alone and his fame alone, never mind his actual value on the field, which was unparalleled. By 1925, the Babe had already set the single-season home run record three times, won an MVP award, and a World Series. He spent his off-seasons guest-starring in movies and barnstorming around the country. Newspapers assigned reporters to follow his every move. They dedicated an unprecedented amount of real estate in their daily papers to Ruth. Pictures of the babe, stories of the babe, stories written by the babe, his agent was his ghostwriter, his exploits off the field, and of course, prowess on the field. One thing that he was known for was his appetite. Appetite for anything. Food, booze, and women. And it was because he had this reputation that his bellyache heard round the world was explained by his indulgence in too many hot dogs and soda pop. That's obviously not what really happened. At the time, Babe Ruth's off-seasons went something like this. After the season ended in the fall, he would depart on weeks-long journeys across the country on barnstorming tours, where he would make appearances with the local mayor and various important people that paid to bring him to their town. He would visit sick kids in hospitals and orphanages. The time he dedicated for children was not just for appearances. He did care. Each visit to a particular city would be centered around a makeshift baseball game against some resident players of that town. Sometimes really good players, up-and-coming or ex-major leaguers, and most notably, Negro League stars, which is when the Babe realized they should be playing in the majors and not their own league. Everyone in attendance just wanted to see Ruth hit a few dingers, so usually he'd only see fastballs unless the opposing pitcher wanted to make a statement. Most of the time, even when that opposing pitcher was trying to make a statement, Babe would still take him deep. Every day was a new show in a new city, and the babe didn't do himself any favors. The barnstorming tours were grueling enough, but he would eat and drink himself silly. As teammate Joe Dugan said, day and night, broads and booze. Over the winter, he would make appearances in Hollywood. 
When Commissioner Landis tried to stop Babe's barnstorming because he was not following the guidelines baseball put in place, translation, Babe was making too much money off the field, Babe would often threaten to just tour the country performing in vaudeville shows and star in movies if he didn't get what he was worth playing baseball. By the time the new year rolled in, the Babe would be 30-plus pounds overweight. Before spring training, he might spend a few weeks in Hot Springs, Arkansas, trying to detox and shed the excess weight. His ideal playing weight was about 220 pounds, but sometimes he'd show up to camp 250 or more. If he wasn't able to slim down by the time the exhibition games began, he'd use the spring schedule to do so. But 1925 was different. When Babe arrived in St. Petersburg for spring training, he wasn't just overweight, but ill. It was not out of the ordinary. The spring flu was an annual thing for Babe. Although I can't help but wonder what they called the flu was just annual withdrawals from a winter of debauchery. But in 1925, he did actually catch the flu at some point between Arkansas and Florida, and he battled it for weeks. It shed the pounds, but it made him weak. When the Yankees were set to travel north to play the exhibition games en route to New York, doctors advised Babe not to play. He ignored their advice and played in the first game in Chattanooga. He actually hit two home runs in that game. The team then traveled to Asheville, North Carolina, which included a long and windy train journey through the mountains. Many of the people on the train felt sick from the trip, but Babe collapsed on the platform in Asheville when they arrived. Newspaper headlines said, Ruth, ill with grip, collapses in South. Grip was a term used for influenza. The London Evening News reported the Babe dead, saying he expired from overheating, so overseas papers were following Babe's every move. The paper even wrote an obituary, which hilariously said that because of his portliness, he wore suspenders, which the paper called braces, and that this started the suspenders trend in the U.S. While the babe was very much alive, he was not doing well. The Yankees sent him north as the team continued to play their exhibition schedule. Newspapers everywhere started to write about his illness, citing previous bouts with the flu and lingering cold. The Canadian press also said that he died. Again, he was not dead, he just felt like he was dying. The media ran with anything and everything because the public couldn't get enough of the story. Headlines included, but were not limited to, Ruth shakes off coma, Babe's doctor denies brain injury, relapses followed fried potatoes for breakfast, and that he had a heart attack. Some were factual and some exaggerated, but all believable, and that's all that mattered. Again, I can't stress enough how massive of a celebrity Babe was at this time. His fame was on par with that of a president, because he was built up into some larger-than-life myth. Almost every story to that point of Ruth's career was positive in nature. They were about his triumphs. And now here was this new story about his potential downfall, his death, according to some outlets. The public consumed every article and report as though a friend or family member were ill. Thousands of people, one source said 25,000, but I don't see how that's possible, waited for the babe and his Yankees handler to arrive at Penn Station in New York City. Doctors brought a stretcher to carry him. Now, I'm not sure if this part is true, but I really want it to be true. According to one article, they had to cut a hole in the side of the train to remove him because the stretcher wouldn't fit. Either way, he was rushed to St. Vincent's Hospital, where the reports and diagnoses were mixed. Originally, doctors said it was not too serious and he was just experiencing a bad case of the flu. They prescribed rest. The day after he was admitted to the hospital, he had surgery for an intestinal abscess. On April 18th, nine days after he entered the hospital, the New York Times reported a successful ulcer surgery for Ruth and that he would miss at least two weeks of action, but the doctor said he would need more rest. 
1925 was a difficult year for Babe for other reasons, too. By this point, there were many rumors about his failing marriage, although that sort of thing was not written about as liberally as it would be today. It was just talked about. His wife Helen was admitted to the hospital at the same time after having a nervous breakdown, and although they were side-by-side in the hospital, their marriage was pretty much over. There are a number of theories about what was really going on with the babe. As I said, the folklore version is that he binged hot dogs and soda when the Yankees train made a stop on its way up from Florida. Others have theorized that he had a venereal disease or alcohol poisoning. The doctors did find an ulcer, which they removed, but who knows what, if anything else, was wrong with him. Ruth wound up spending seven weeks in the hospital, from April 9th through May 25th. He returned to the Yankees lineup on June 1st and went 0 for 2 with a walk. Coincidentally, June 1st, 1925 is also the starting date of Lou Gehrig's consecutive game streak, so that's a very meaningful date in Yankees history. This year was rock bottom for Ruth. His marriage was over and his health was terrible. He ended up hitting 290 with 25 homers in 98 games. Not too shabby, all things considered. 25 home runs was still good enough to tie him for third in the league. That's a season that 9 out of 10 players would have killed for in 1925, over 154 games, never mind 98 games. But it came in his age 30 season, what should have been one of his prime years. In addition to the health scare and other various nagging injuries, he was fighting management all season. Huggins repeatedly fined him and tried to exercise an insane behavior clause in his contract that set a curfew of 1 a.m. and restricted his eating and drinking. In early August, sports writer Fred Lieb wrote, It is doubtful that Ruth will again be the superstar he was from 1919 through 1924. Whoops. The team also had a private investigator following Babe to see when and how he violated the terms of his contract. After a late summer bender in St. Louis, Huggins fined him $5,000 and suspended him indefinitely. $5,000 was about 10% of his salary that season. This kind of fine was unheard of. After about a week, the two sides did make up. Babe famously said, I was a babe and a boob. To his credit, Babe realized his struggles were self-inflicted and he began to take his health and fitness more seriously, although still not nearly as seriously as teammate Lou Gehrig, ironically. He trained hard in the offseason and returned to form in 1926, leading the league in homers, RBIs, walks, and runs while hitting 372. The Yankees advanced to the World Series against the Cardinals but lost in seven games. Babe made the final out of that series by getting caught stealing in the bottom of the ninth, trying to advance to scoring position with the Yankees down by a run. Somehow that disastrous end to the season did not derail Babe, who the next year reset the single-season home run record and helped lead the Murderer's Row Yankees to one of the greatest seasons in baseball history. On September 30th, the next to last day of the season, and needing just one more home run, he faced Tom Zachary of the Washington Senators. The first Zachary offering was a fast one which sailed over for a call strike. The next was high. The babe took a vicious swing at the third pitch ball and the bat connected with a crash that was audible in all parts of the stand. While the crowd cheered and the Yankee players roared their greeting, the babe made his triumphant, almost regal tour of the paths. And when he embedded his spikes in the rubber disc to officially Homer 60, hats were tossed in the air, papers were torn up and tossed liberally, and the spirit of celebration permeated the place. 
60, count them, 60, Ruth shouted in the locker room. Let's see some other son of a bitch match that. In a way, the Yankees of the late 20s and early 30s can thank Babe Ruth's bellyache for turning the bloated Bambino back into the great Bambino. Otherwise, he could have eaten and drank and fornicated his way out of the league. Thanks for listening. is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.